All right, good morning, church. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we are uh, going to be looking again in the parallel series at what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, the parallel and the echo of that that we see in the book of James, and then how that looks in our everyday life, how that's fleshing itself out. And today, we're talking about the whole concept of lies, uh, the idea of the truth that is so difficult for us to tell, and the fact that really what Christ is calling us towards is building a life of transparency and honesty. Now, to be completely honest, we have a hard time with honesty, don't we? This is something that, I don't know what it is, but we, and, and, and again, as I'm saying this, what, as, as I'm talking about lies, we oftentimes do not think, oh yeah, he's talking to me. I mean, there's some messages where it's like, oh man, great, you're bringing this up. Uh, but the, the, this is one that we're like, oh yeah, I know liars. I know liars. I live with some. I work with some. Um, but, but very infrequently do we put the, the, really the onus on ourselves on this one. Jesus does a shock job with his uh, listeners on, at the, when he's given the Sermon on the Mount to help them understand this. Um, really what I want you to, uh, us to understand is that lying is one of the most harmful sins we consider harmless. Lying is one of the most harmful sins that we consider harmless uh, because of the damage that it does. Our inability to be honest is our enemies. One of our enemies' most cunning and subtle ways to distance us from who we are created to be in Jesus and from a relationship of understanding this life that he has for us. Um, This is one of those sins that is so subtle and so cultural and so conditioned in to our everyday life that we don't even pick up on the fact that it's there until like the aftermath, until the explosion takes place, until we're caught. It's something that has infiltrated every marriage, every workplace, every friendship, and it's something that really um, is toxic and cancerous to to who we are in Jesus. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he kind of hones in on this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 and following. And so you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to that. Um, and, and one of the things that Jesus, you're going to hear Jesus do, if you, if you just read through the Sermon on the Mount um, in, in those chapters that, there in Matthew, you're going to hear Jesus doing a lot of these where he's like, okay, you grew up hearing this, but I'm telling you this instead. Or, or everyone understands, we all like pick up on the fact that this is a reality, but the truth is, you, don't, you didn't really understand that correctly, bam, this is it. And in, in each and every one, the crowd's like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Oh, What? No way. Like, we, we've always been okay with that. How is he saying that that's not right now? Is he against the law? And people have had so many different arguments about, is Jesus totally like just taking a wrecking ball to the law and everything in the Old Testament with the Sermon on the Mount? And the amazing thing is, I don't believe he is. I really believe what he's doing is saying, you didn't get it. You didn't get it and you spun so far off course that you've missed this amazing reality of what, what God has for you. So I'm going to clarify you that, clarify for you that in this sermon. So that's what Jesus is communicating. In verse 33, he says this. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but keep the oath you've made to the Lord. To which everyone, by the way, paused. Is it like going, yeah, that's right. You know what? I've, I haven't always been an oath keeper. I'm going to be an oath keeper from here on out. Especially the oaths to God. Going to keep those. All is good. Boom. And Jesus says, but I tell you, don't swear at all. Either by heaven, or by, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. 
So again, Jesus is doing something where he's, he's shocking his crowd by communicating this. James backs this up. His brother James, almost a, a direct parallel in James 5.12 when he says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. He's not talking about cussing. He's talking about, about, about swearing an oath. Don't swear an oath by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So what in the world does Jesus have with swearing oaths? I mean, that's, everybody does that. Like, everyone, everyone does that. And what he's not saying is that any type of contractual agreement, any type of vow, or, or any type of oath is, is not something that he's calling us towards. He's not saying that. He's not saying, okay, so remember that, those vows you made on your, your wedding day? How dare you? He's not saying that. He's, he's not even saying that it's wrong to pledge an oath unilaterally. He's saying, he's talking about a kingdom perspective that's radically different w- from what was happening in the first century and what his kingdom was going to be like. So let's take a look at the first culture, that, or the culture that he's talking to originally. The culture he was originally talking to, oaths were something that was old hat. They got this. They employed oaths to validate, or to add validity to their word. In Numbers 30 verse 2, it says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate him himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. That's basically what Jesus was saying there. He's like, you've heard this said. But I tell you, don't do that at all. Don't even do that. Why? I mean, oaths were helpful. I mean, Hebrews chapter 6 says that when a person pledges, they're pledging to something that's greater than themselves, which ends an argument. Like, people are arguing, like, but if someone says, no, but I, seriously, I swear, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave, man. Okay, you, I know you, mama. And it's like, it's people like, they'll believe you now. Or, or I swear to God. Or I put my hand on the Bible about this. This is, seriously, this is the, the total truth. And, and, and Jesus was seeing that this, what was happening in this culture is the very same thing that happens in our culture with the same thing. Is that people had norms for acceptable dishonesty. Numbers, numbers didn't push people, the, the instruction of numbers wasn't pushing people closer to the honest person and the, the authentic person that, that God had crafted them to be. In fact, it was actually that people had taken that, found loopholes, and it was making them more dishonest. And so that if you were telling someone something, they didn't really believe you unless you really tacked on some serious, like, Ling- linguistic C4 onto that statement to make sure people really knew that you were saying what they were saying. In fact, in the first century, like people would say, no, I'm, I, I want to buy your horse. I've got the money. I'm going to give you the money. Uh, how do I know that? Your whole family is a bunch of liars. No, man, I swear. Yeah, by what? I swear by the temple. Now, for some people, swearing by the temple, that'd be like, okay, I know you well enough. The horse is yours. But if you really wanted to like do like the, the equivalent of the pinky swear in the first century... It would say, I swear not only by the temple, but by the gold of the temple. To which the person would say, horse is yours. I know that you're telling the truth. And Jesus is like, this is messed up. The fact that you go up to someone and say, listen, I know that five minutes ago, you had every reason to believe that I was just going to totally lie to your face. Lie to your face, your grandma's face, whoever. But because I've employed the pinky swear, you should now totally believe what I'm saying. Jesus is like, this is not who you're created to be. This is not the authentic person that I've crafted you to be. The English uh, study Bible, um, English version, ESV study Bible, talks about this by saying uh, simply that what often happens is um, Christians looked at, looked at this initially as like, well, is God saying no to all oaths? And instead of saying, really what it's saying is Jesus is communicating, look, I want you to be a, the type of character that when people know that you're with me, they know that they can believe you. 
You do what you say. You say what you mean. I mean you're not saying stuff that people are like, should I second guess that? Because I know this guy. I don't know if he's telling me the truth or not. So that was the first, cent- the first century. But let's take a look at the equivalent of our world, the culture he's speaking in today. If you uh, take a look at a psychology uh, magazine, uh, Psychology Today magazine, they had an article on lies and how everybody lies. And they, and they talked about the four different ways that we lie. The first way is that we pr- lie to protect ourselves. We do this to avoid suffering, painful consequences, shame, embarrassment, or conflict. Okay. This is like the thing that is ingrained from an early kid on. You, your parent walks in the room. You're doing something you shouldn't do. You're hitting your brother or something like that. They're like, what are you doing? It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. I didn't, it wasn't me. Or, or they walk in and something's broken. It, it, it wasn't me. And, and, we, and we learned that this is, this is a very protective thing. I was reminded when I was in California at a conference this past week. And I was reminded by friends of a time when I was in junior high. And we went on a, on a, on a trip to the San Diego Zoo. Which was a pretty boring trip. Until my friend Eric Kapua. Eric Kapua, this is pre-Victor Gamboa. Eric Kapua said, dude, let's take the tram, the buckets that go over, like the whole place. Let's spit on people. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds awesome. And so like we're going over this thing. And initially we're just spitting on like alligators and stuff, which they didn't care. Uh, but it, but it, after a while, we're like noticing just the streams of people below us like ants. and just dropping loogies from the sky. And we thought this was so hilarious and no one's going to catch us until we pull into the, the little bucket pulls into the station and we see a security guard there opening the door for us and we see the camera that's right there and the sign that says if you, something to the effect of, I can't remember because this is blurred out in my mission, uh, just recollection, but it says something effective, if you spit out of the buckets, you're going to be fined $1,000. I didn't have $1,000. And I figured that they probably would have to call my dad. And so they take us to the security office, and I'm just like, I'm freaked out. Number one, we're all going to go to jail for spitting. <laughs> Two, I don't have a thousand bucks to drop on this. And, but, that, but then three, I was like, what's going to happen when Dan Charling comes to pick us up? Dan was the volunteer junior high leader, and we loved Dan. We cared about Dan. And sure enough, they said, guys, we could call the police on you. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to turn you over to your youth pastor. Don't you ever do this again. We're like... <laughs> and I haven't. To this day, I have not done that. I mean, like, it scarred me. But I remember when Dan Charlotte, when I'm looking at Dan, Dan's like, he looks at, at, at us and he's just like, like this. And I'm like, Dan, it wasn't us. It was the guys in the bucket ahead of us. And we, I don't know why, how, why they thought it was us. I mean, they say they have video cameras, but those things are fake. It wasn't us. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. And Dan's like, okay. And he didn't say anything else. And then I felt awful. And then we got on the bus and he starts praying says, God, thanks for such a great day of senior creation. God, I just pray for those guys that just joined us on the bus. You know the truth. So I just pray you just put that in their heart. And, and I'm like, oh man. And it, was, it wasn't until like just about three or four years ago that I actually said, I, I saw Dan, I was speaking at a, at a camp and I said, Dan, um, remember that spitting thing? He's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I totally did it. He's like, oh, I knew. I'm like, we, we lie to protect ourselves. We lie to protect our interests. Probably the second most common reason we lie is to get what we want. We lie to get material goods like money and non-material goods like attention from telling tall tales about ourselves. Like, so you leave this part out of the job interview because you really want to get hired. So you're not going to tell them about the conviction. You know, whatever. You, we lie to protect our interests. We lie to protect our image. We also want others to think well of us. Yet we all do things we ourselves consider less than respectable at times. Rather than, to, rather than admit it, 
however, and suffer the diminution of others' respect, we often cover it up. Or having failed to act courageously and virtuously, we lie to appear more courageous and virtuous than we are. This is kind of like Church 101. We do this really well. We walk into a room and we've had an awful week. It's just like, oh, all these stinking happy people are singing songs and raising their hands and stuff. We're like, I can't really be authentic with them because I've had an awful week. It's been terrible. It's been pain. It's been horrible. And apparently God's doing something in everyone else's life but mine because I feel like garbage. And so I'm going to put on an image and kind of have this visual lie to let people know just so that they don't have to ask questions like so seriously what's wrong and why are you not really a believer that type of thing we lie to protect our image we also lie to protect others we often lie to avoid expending energy or time doing something we really don't want to do going out with a friend we find boring attending a party we know we don't want to we don't enjoy uh, working on a project about which we're not really enthused, but we don't feel comfortable admitting. So protect the person. To protect this person, um, we, we will lie to them that their breath smells fine. We will lie to them that, that everything's perfect. We'll, we'll lie to them that, no, no, there's no problems here. This is fine. Because we're trying to protect others. These are the reasons we lie. That article in Psychology Today went on to say, we all lie. Admittedly, most of us do so only occasionally. But we still all do. Yet most of us also consider ourselves honest. We're therefore able to tell ourselves we're mostly honest. That is, we're only dishonest in ways that we think don't matter. Apparently, this strategy works. Most of us don't suffer serious cognitive dissonance over our integrity. Thus, it seems we can have the best of both worlds without too much work. We can lie or cheat in little ways that place us at an advantage, but still get to view ourselves as fundamentally honest. Now, these aren't believers, and we could just go, oh, man, how messed up the world is. This is the most honest statement. I wish a Christian would have written this. Because that, that sometimes is so true of us. If we're completely honest, we really struggle with this whole thing of honesty. And so when we're looking through this, we're understanding that Jesus is calling both that first century and us today out of an expected norm. Everyone's like, look, Jesus... Everybody has to tack on extra things to what they say so that they sound valid. I mean, everybody does that. Jesus, that's totally normal. Yes, it's expected. Absolutely. I'm telling you to do something different. Today, look, everybody tells white lies here and there. Sometimes you've got to protect yourself or protect someone else. They couldn't handle this. This is a truth that's too weighty for them. This would destroy, I, I, this, this, this is too big. I'll get fired. The, the, the relationship will end. No, nothing will be the same. That's totally normal. Yes. Most people expect that as, as how things work. <laughs> Thank you. I'm calling you for something. I'm calling you out of that into something different. And Jesus is telling a group of people who accepted that, that norm into something radically different. If we look again at 33 to 36, we see the command to avoid unnecessary oath-taking. When Jesus, again, just take a look at it again. Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven or, or by God's throne or by the earth, for it's the, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you can't even make one hair white or black. Okay, you can tell that Jesus is talking to a first century group there because we can now do that. We can take 
white hair and make it black or black hair and make it white or take no hair and make hair. It's, it's, it's something that can happen. But he's talking to a bunch of people. He's, he's using something that they would all say, yeah, I can't fake that anymore. You know, and he's telling them, look, just as much as you can't fake your own hair color, for crying out loud, why, why are we faking everything else? What Jesus is doing is he's, he's actually battling two effects of lying, two effects of dishonesty within a believer. And the first of those is the misrepresentation of God, and the second is the misrepresentation of who we truly are. The reason this is a big deal to Jesus is this. It's not just like that, that you sound stupid when you're like saying, no, no, I really mean this, what I'm saying. He's saying, if you're someone who's a part of me, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm totally like full-on attacking the facade of the fake you. When you live in the fake you and you're okay with kind of this, this fuzzy truth honesty thing, you're not only, you're, what you're doing is you're not only hurting those around you, but you're not being you. This is not the you that I, that I created. This is not the you that I actually, we got some crazy pterodactyl size. Where was I? This is not the you. This is not the you that I created. It's not the you that my death and resurrection jump started. This is not the you that, 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 that the truth is now eminent. See, because as soon as you become a Christian, something happens. You have a connection with God. You have a connection with him who is true. And from that point on, you are opened up to the world of being able to flesh out and live out honesty and authenticity and truth. And that brings peace. And as long as you're like, oh man, I love the fruits of the resurrection of what Jesus did here, but I'm just going to continue living in this subtle dishonesty. You're missing who you are and what you've been created for. You're missing the life that I've called you for. And the thing is that you're getting wrapped up in so many lies that it's stressing you out. You're not living a life of peace because you're constantly wondering if they're going to find out. You're constantly wondering if, if this is going to surface. You're constantly wondering if, if, if this, what would happen to my world if this actually came out. So I've got to do everything I can to just bring it in and dial it in and make sure that no one ever knows. So Jesus' solution is this, to help us remember whose we are and to choose truth. When he says in 37, simply, he's like, look, I'm telling you this, this is different than what you're believing, but if you're my followers, you're following my lead, you're my disciples, you're simply saying, you know, everyone says, I, I swear, I swear to God, this is what's going to happen, please believe me, please believe me. If you're my followers, you're taking a different path and what you're simply doing is saying, yeah. I'm just going to tell you yes, and you're going to, you're going to believe it because you, you, you can see my track record since Jesus has been working in me. Or I'm going to say no, and, you, and you're going to believe me because you can see my track record of integrity since, since Jesus has been working my life. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time, actually stepping into Jesus' truth might be a new thing. So you might say, look, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've just been just serving bull to everyone around me, but I'm done with that. And now what I'm doing is I'm actually going to be honest and truthful with those around me. And so for the past six months, or six years, or whatever, six hours, I want you to know that you can, you can, you can trust what I'm saying. I'm trying to follow his lead. Remember whose you are, and choose truth. And the first way we do this is we choose truth in our word. This is very central to what Jesus is saying in this passage. Simply that concept of, look, if you're going to say yes, mean yes. If you're going to say no, mean no. Calvin put it this way, this repetition of saying, make, let your yes be yes and your no be no, this repetition means that we ought to abide by our words so that all may be convinced of our honesty. There's not a person that's going to say, look, I, I don't even know if I can believe this guy. I don't know if I can believe this guy because I, I know how you just totally lie. And now you're telling me about this God that you're following? 
How do I even know that he's true? I mean, if you've lied to me about everything else, how do I know that's actually accurate? We need to be the type of person that really steps in and is able to communicate truth. Proving ourselves to be trustworthy when we're committing to something like work or relationships or scheduling, etc. Like you say that you're going to do something and you do it. Why? Because it's ethical? Yeah, sure. But, but it's who you are in Christ. It's, it's who you are because of the gospel. For me, uh, the person that has just blown me away with this is my wife, Julie. She's like, like, honesty and Julie is just one and the same. She's always blown me away. It's really frustrated me sometimes, but it's always blown me away with how honest she is. I mean, Julie's like grad level honesty, and I'm like a kindergartner, I feel like. Because I'm just like, I, uh, uh. like, I remember when, I, when we first got married and well ended marriage, I would say things like, you know what, Julie, I'm going um, to be home at 5.15. And she's like, oh, great, fantastic. And I would look at my watch around 5.10. I'm like, I got a couple minutes. And I would wait till 5.20. And I'm like, oh, I probably should go. And so I'd head home. And I'd really be obli- uh, frustrated. Why, why is she, like, giving me this attitude? And then this would happen over and over again. And she'd say, you know, why? You said you were going to be home at 5.15. I'm like, oh, yeah, I meant, like, ish. 5.15-ish. And so she started having to say things like, you know, so when are you going to be home? Ah, 510. Really? 510? Like 510? Or 510-ish? And I realized, she doesn't believe me. And she shouldn't. And I started realizing how many other things I've done in my life, in my marriage, in my scheduling and whatever, when I've said, oh yeah, this is going to happen, or oh, I got this, and it hasn't. And I thought, well, you know, that's kind of normal. And Jesus is like, exactly. I'm calling you out that expected normal. I'm calling you into something better. So before we, we actually do something, before saying, I got this, or I'll do this, or I'll be there, actually pausing and first ask, should I commit to this, and can I actually pull this off? Am I overcommitting in life and underperforming? And if so, is that representing Christ and the work that he's doing in my life well? Who hasn't graduated from high school yet that's here in this room? Just go ahead and raise your hand. If you haven't graduated from high school, okay. All right, awesome. For you, I want to challenge you guys with this. If you haven't graduated from high school yet, whether you're in elementary or junior high or high school, know this. This gets sketchy when you get to the point of, I don't know, even know how early this is going to start for you, but when you start realizing that, man, homework is hard. It's really hard. And they only give you the odd answers in the back of the math book. It just, it's, it's criminal. And then all of a sudden you realize as well that you walk up and you see like all of these people in front of the classroom 30 minutes before school starts, and it's like this assembly line of people passing down, like, what'd you get for 37? What'd you get for 15? You know, and, and people are, how, how did you work out in number 20? You know, th- those types of things. And people are just, do, adults, do you remember this? Did you do this? I did this. Because I came in there, I didn't need 37 and 15. I needed 1 through 37. I was like, I don't know. And I, I remember like going, I feel kind of guilty about this. But, I mean, this is kind of like the accepted norm. If you don't know how to do math, and who knows how to do math, really? <laughs> Thank you for raising your hand, those of you who did <laughs> I'll be talking to you later. I remember totally justifying that by saying, look, if I don't get good grades, I'm not going to go to college. And I don't know what I would do with that. If I don't get good grades, what are my parents going to say? 
And I justified sin. And I had all these people who saw me as a Christian who also did this. And that is a, that is a travesty. Because that's misrepresenting who I truly am. And it's misrepresenting my Savior who died for me. It would have been better for me to flunk algebra. Algebra, algebra 2, geometry, primary math, whatever. <laughs> it would have been better for me to flunk that. Everyone say, you want to know the dumbest person in math I know? Errol McFadden. But man, is that guy honest. There's something about him that's just different from everyone else. So, if you haven't graduated from high school yet, go into this school year with that as your mantle. Truth in your word. You say it, it's going to happen. You say no, it's going to happen. You're honest. And it's not because you're super moral or ethical, it's because of Jesus. Not only truth in your word, but also truth in your issues. Truth in your issues. Uh, AA has an amazingly phenomenal uh, truth that Celebrate Recovery has adopted. It says, you're only as sick as your secrets. How secretive are you? Or how sick are you? I just got back, uh, the reason I was in California was I was at a conference for Celebrate Recovery with our leadership team, and I am blown away with, with this organization. I'm blown away with what's happening on Thursday nights here at 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Celebrate Recovery, folks? Yep, yep. All right, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unreal. Like, I've seen people that I've, I've counseled, and then six months later, like, they're, they're growing, they're, their discipleship has been phenomenal. They're so close to Jesus, and they're, le- they're learning leaderships. It's just Unreal. And so, like, I, I, I'm so a big, big believer in this. And so I told Chad a year ago, Chad Deckinger, the, the, the director, I'm going to be there, man. I'm going to go on this. I'm going to go to the conference with you because I'm proud of you guys. Because I am. I'm super proud of them. I didn't realize that when you got to the conference that, you, that they probably expected you to be honest about your own issues. <laughs> that was not in the fine print of the registration. And so I get to this thing, there's thousands of people, which makes me feel great, because I'm kind of anonymous. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm just a pastor, you know, I'm just a pastor, like, yay, CR, go Chad! And like, and so, um, and, and, and the, team, the rest of the team that we had down there, over there, and, um, and so then the, the, the leader did this real jerky move, where he said, okay, you know what, we're about to break for a break, we're going to have like pastries and coffee and stuff, but before we do that, let's break up into groups of four, with people you don't know. And we're gonna, we have like three or four questions on your, in your notes that you can ask each other on page 48. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> and I'm looking around and it's like, okay, everyone go. Make sure you don't know these people. And everyone's getting up and they're like coupling up with these four, you know, f- sets of four. And I'm like, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> because they have pastries and coffee just on the other side of these doors. And all I got to do is, and I'm gone. And so I'm, I'm walking around pretending like I'm looking for a group. Oh, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, as I'm like, I got a, my straightaway, I'm ready to go because most people are now in their groups. This group of three says, oh, do you have a group yet? We need somebody. I'm like, no. And so I, I sit down and, I, and I, I, I sit there and then all of a sudden it says, okay, go ahead and introduce yourself. Now in Celebrate Recovery, the way that the leaders introduce themselves is this. Hi, I'm like, uh, my name is Bob. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus and I struggle with anxiety or whatever it is and all of a sudden the first guy does it he's like hi my name's bob and i'm a grateful follower of jesus and i struggle with anxiety and depression like hey bob i'm like oh no (laughs) the next guy uh hi my name's ted and uh i struggle uh with alcoholism and um pride yeah and i'm a grateful follower of jesus hey ted next guy 
this is the last guy. It's like, hi, my name's Ernie, and I struggle uh, with uh, drug addiction and um, addiction to the approval of others. And I wanted to stop, like, dude, that's not that bad. The drug part, that's bad. <laughs> you go to jail for that stuff, bro. But the approval of others, I mean, come on. Who doesn't? And, so then, and then it gets to me, and I, all of a sudden I'm like, what do I do? And so I said, hi, um, I'm Errol. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and, I, and they kind of just sat there. And I'm like... Almost thinking like, I was hoping they would just go, ooh, yeah, that's enough. Okay, moving on. <laughs> and then they said, okay, well, I guess we'll go to number two. And they go to the second one, and right when he's starting to read the second question, I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on. <sighs> okay, okay, this is, this is new for me, guys, okay? Because I'm not... I, my name is Errol. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus, and, and I, I am addicted to the approval of others. And I, I am prideful. And then I just started a patoosh, patoosh, patoosh. And this too, I mean, it was like that scene from Goonies where Chunk is just spilling his guts. And then, and then I, like, I was, seriously, it was one of those things where I thought the guy was like, okay, you know what, it's good, let's just go. But all of a sudden, this was the coolest thing in the world. All of a sudden, I started looking around and seeing all these thousands of people. And the reason the volume level was such during worship was not because we had thousands of people. The reason that people were so belting out the praise is not because these people were all trained Christians who've done church their whole life. That wasn't the case. It wasn't because their life was phenomenal and awesome and you know, spot free. That wasn't the case either. It's because they were free. And just talking to these three dudes who I'll never see again, I experienced freedom there that comes from truth in my issues. I want to encourage you, if you are not part of Celebrate Recovery, because you're like, oh, I'm not one of those people. I have everything together for the most part. Don't talk to my wife. <laughs> I want to encourage you to drop in Thursday night. Start, dinner's six. Group starts at seven, right? And you're going to see something. You can just go inspect it. You can just listen to other people like, talk, and you can worship with them and, and just spend time. And then you can bail. Like, you can run away right after that. You don't even have to go to a group. Uh, but I would encourage you just to go and experience whether your issue is like workaholism, pride, addiction to the approval of others, materialism, struggling with the abuse from past, whatever it is that you're going through, if you feel like you can't be honest about your issues, drop into CR and you're going to experience freedom. Because honestly, this is not just CR. This needs to be the church. Because our story, the gospel story, doesn't start with, and because we're so beautiful and well-mannered and moral, God saved us. The gospel story starts with a bunch of people who are dead in their sin, who are broken, who cannot do anything for themselves, and God breathing life into them. Amen? That, that is our story. And that doesn't happen without being honest about our condition. Before a God who's waiting and willing to save. Truth in my word. Truth in my issues. Thirdly, truth in my pain. Christians, as they go through the process of sanctification, as God's growing them, they can get really honest and start being the type of person that people trust. They could be someone who says, well, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so I can be honest with the fact that this, these are my struggles. And I know that, that this is stuff that, that other people struggle with. I'm going to be honest about it. But the last one, truth in my pain, that's tough. 
Because in spite of the fact that we know that everyone has pain, we think for some reason that as a Christian we shouldn't experience it. Or if we were really someone who was godly, we wouldn't feel depression and, and pain. I mean, that, that wouldn't be something that we struggle with. And that is one of the most inauthentic things we could do. Is live a life of pretending like everything's okay. Because the more that we pretend, the longer we do that, the, the, the further from us getting healthy and getting right is. This needs to be a place where we're honest and truthful in our pain. In your small groups, where you can honestly and openly share and have people pray for you. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you see someone in the hall and you ask them how they're doing, and they're like, eh, you stop and, and say, okay, let's talk about it, rather than, oh, all right, talk to you later. But we actually, and when you say that you're going to pray for someone, you actually just say, you know, let's pray for, pray for you right now. Which, of course, brings us to, hey, yeah. Uh, you guys remember 2003? 2003, good year. And in 2003, a song came out from Outcast, from Andre 3000, um, called, hey, yeah. Uh, and it was like the most happy song of 2003. Like you're, play, you're listening to the car and you just want to dance. Like just thinking about it makes me want to dance. And it's just very poppy, uh, up song. If you forgot, hey, uh, let me just go ahead and show you just a sample. Okay, you get the idea. <laughs> I, I get happy just watching that. I mean, I, I'm just like, I, and again, it was one of those songs you're like, ah! It was, it, was, it was just, it was fun. Until another artist had the gall to sing the song without all the hype, without all the show, and just play the song with the lyrics. All of a sudden you hear the tragedy of a song about the inability to maintain a relationship and the breakdown of, of a love that is dissolving. Do you want to hear that? Who wants to hear sadness? Let me let you, I'm going to let you hear it anyway. around because she loves me so and this I know for sure but does she really want him or can't stand to see me walk out the door I can't stand to fight the feeling cause the thought alone is killing me right now Mom and dad for sticking two together Cause we don't know how 
You think you got it, oh, you think you got it But God, I just don't get it till there's nothing at all We get together, oh, we get together Except it's always better when there's feelings involved If what they say that nothing is forever Oh, the what makes, the what makes, the what makes you love the exceptions? Why, 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 why are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? Hey, ah. hey, ah. Same song. Hey, Same lyrics. Radically different message. Pastor Nick told me, and I, I totally didn't hear this in the original song, but right after that part, Andre 3000 says, you don't want to hear me talk, you just want to dance. And then the rest of the song is just ridiculousness. Oftentimes, we present ourselves as Christians who think that the only account we are presenting is the first. The hype, the show, the, the joy, the celebration. The truth is, the gospel message is, we don't get to the celebration without the honesty and the transparency of being honest about those issues that we have, the pain that we have, the struggles that we're going through. That's what leads to the celebration. That's what leads to the freedom. And so as Christians, this needs to be our mantra, that we are the people that are true in our word, true in our issues, and true in our pain. But we're also the type of place that houses an environment and promotes an environment where people can be truthful, that we remember whose we are and we choose grace. If we want to build the world of honesty and integrity Christ called us to, we need to also know that how to receive truth. And this is just simple. It's, it's recognizing that this Jesus, this Jesus who's given us the truth, this Jesus who is the truth, is also grace-filled. And so as you're sitting here and thinking through and realizing there are things that I need to be honest about. I need to go home and I need to be honest with my spouse about something. I need to, I need to be honest with my boyfriend or girlfriend about this. I need to be honest with my parents about something that's been taking place. I need to be honest with my kids about something. I need to be honest and, and, and surface that. If you're on the opposite end of that spectrum, the opposite end of that conversation, may you be the type of person who receives truth well with grace. You may be someone who rocks at truth. Man, you got truth nailed down. You have no problem with it. Almost too much truth. (laughs) But you really stink at the grace side. Isn't it interesting, though, that Scripture tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not his truth. The truth is is the reality of why we're going to God. But it's his kindness that draws us to him. It's his kindness that promotes the type of environment that we feel totally okay and open to go to this all-powerful, supreme, sovereign God and say, I'm confessing, I'm confessing, I'm confessing because I know that you, who I'm confessing to, loves me and extends grace to me. It's your kindness. What if we did that in our relationships? What if with our spouse, we were the type of person who received hard truth or confession gracefully? In the midst of the fact that this is so painful, in the midst of the fact that there's, there's going to be consequences or, or hard decisions that have to be made now, but in the midst of all that, that we received it with grace. What would happen if that happened at your work with the people who flake and fail you? What if when they came to you, they knew that, yeah, you're someone who's super honest, but you're also someone who, when they bring something to you and you're like, 
Do you understand how costly this is? Do you understand how inefficient that was? Then in the midst of those realities, that you would respond with grace. So that they knew that you're not only an honest person, but you're someone who also has this amazing grace about you. If you've been to a wedding that I've done, you probably have heard a form of or a part of this quote from Tim Keller talking about marriage relationships, but it relates to what we're talking about here. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. May we be the type of church, like seriously, may we be the type of church that expresses both of these not, not, not shortchanging one for the other, but realizing that in Christ, we see both of these come together at the cross. That it's at the cross we see full-on truth and complete grace at the same time. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, truth is a tough thing for a lot of us. We don't want truth. We, we want to be able to make things right. Sometimes we say things to bypass truth at the expense of honest recovery and honest health, honest life. Lord, I pray that you start right now, that you put a point on the timeline for every believer in this room, that from this point on, we condition our hearts not after what we see around us, but after who you are, that our yeses are yeah, they're yes, no's are no, and that we're able to to navigate both with the integrity that comes from you. I will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go live it.